Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we've been looking at the transformed life And there's a component about the transformed life that I want you to understand today, especially today as we look at several different areas in chapter 13. And that is that the transformed life, the life that you have been given because Jesus bought it with his blood, should affect every area of your life. It should change every area of your life. Now, here's what happens in our modern way of thinking for years, we have compartmentalized areas of our lives. So we're who we are at church. We're who we are with our friends. We're who we are at home. Then we're somebody different at work. And some guys, you know, you are somebody different even at the hunting camp. And so we have compartmentalized our whole life so that, you know, spirituality is over here, work is over here, friendship is over here, family is over here. And so we are different people. We're actually very complex individuals, each reflecting a different area of our life. Now here's what's happening is our culture is changing into a postmodern culture. And so our younger generations reject that kind of thinking. They reject the whole compartmentalizing of life. They want to see, if you believe in Christianity, they want to see that it permeates your whole being. And I'll be honest with you, what they want to see is what the Bible calls us to be. What they want to see is what the Bible calls us to be. is to have a life where your Christianity affects every area of your life. Where your Christianity affects how you are at work, how you are at home, and even how you are as a citizen in this country. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about here today, is transformed citizenship. See, your life as a believer should transform how you are as a citizen in this country. Now, some of you are saying, oh no, here we go, it's the election year. And George is going to talk about citizenship. What is he going to tell us? Don't worry, that's not in the passage. It doesn't say, thou shalt vote Republican or thou shalt vote Democrat in this passage anywhere. But what it does tell you is how you and I are to live and let our Christian life affect every area of our life, including our citizenship. There's another area we're going to look at, and it talks about how it should affect your life towards your neighbors, which really is a part of your citizenship, isn't it? And then to help you grasp how it should affect your citizenship and how it should affect your attitudes and your actions towards your neighbors, it gives us the motivation for doing that. Why are we to be that way? So let's notice that this passage, we're going to look at all 14 verses of chapter 13, and then we're going to grasp what does it mean to be a transformed citizen. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, 
and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Rendering therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything except love one another, For he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, but love is the fulfillment of the law. And this do, knowing the time that now is... High time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and in drunkenness and in lewdness and in lust and strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So notice we're going to look at this several things here. First of all, we're going to notice transformed citizenship. What does that mean? First of all, towards authority. So I want you to notice with me, verse 1, there's very much a command here that I think that every one of us needs to comprehend. Notice what it says there. Let every man be subject to the governing authorities. Here's what, we're, what I need you to see. We are to submit to civil authority. Let me help you put this in context a little bit. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome, to the Roman Christians there. Around the time that he is writing, there is a Caesar who is in power. This Caesar is a man by the name of Nero. Nero was, if you could think of a scoundrel, he was beyond a scoundrel. Some even thought that he was crazy, and maybe he was. He definitely was perverted. And he was basically thought of himself as a god. If there was ever a man who was wicked, it was Nero. And he is the ruler of the known world at that time. And so the the Christians of that day in Rome would have a great, better understanding of who Nero was than even Paul was when he wrote this. Although Nero's reputation was throughout the empire. So he's writing this letter to a group of people who are being ruled really by a world dictator. And he says to them, submit. Submit to civil authority. See, I want you to understand the background of this passage. Because why? There's a natural tendency in every single one of us. Are you listening to me? There's a natural tendency in humanity to rebel against authority. You know, we live in such an individualistic country, it's very often you'll hear people say, well, if my guy doesn't get in, fooey. I'm just not listening to him. If my party doesn't make it, I'm not going to be listening this next four years. 
See, what I want you to understand is, is that the principle, the command that Paul gives is that you and I are to submit to civil authority no matter who the ruler is. Does everybody understand? No matter, if your guy doesn't make it, or your gal doesn't make it, these days we might even have ladies, we have ladies who are running for president, or whatever. I mean, if your person doesn't make it as governor, or your person doesn't make it as commissioner, you wonder, that does not say now that you can just say, I'm not going to submit to civil authority. That's not, that's not an option for you and I as a Christian. The only time that that's an option is when they tell you to do that which is contrary to the Bible. Does everybody understand? And I'll be honest with you, in this country, very few things they tell you to do that's contrary to the Bible. Here's another one. Because of our tendency to rebel, and we'll talk about this a little later on in more greater detail, we'll say, well, I don't think that tax is right. Or I don't think I need to go buy that building permit. Or I don't think I need to go do that. See, my friends, as Christians, a transformed life is going to recognize that as we are called to what? Submit to civil authority. Now, I don't like that. You don't like that. And because you don't like it, doesn't mean that you have the right to do what you want to do. Especially if you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, there's a greater principle here. And transformed citizenship says that I'm going to submit to what? Civil authority. Here's the reason why. Look now at the rest of verse 1 and you'll see why. Because here's what it says. For there is no authority except from God... And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Here's the reason why. You want to know why you and I have to submit even though we don't like who's in office? You want to know why we have to submit even though we don't like the law that was written? Or you want to know why we have to pay our taxes even though we think the tax isn't right? Here's the reason why. Because Paul tells us right here in verse 1, he says, Ultimately, God establishes civil authority. God is the one who established civil authority. In his great wisdom, in his great knowledge, he understood that there needed to be government, there needed to be civil authority, because let's let me be honest with you. Most every one of us here enjoy certain rights. We enjoy in our country the right to even gather here this morning. Why? We don't have to fear anything. Why? Because we have a government that has given us certain rights. And ultimately, God is the one who establishes governments. God is the one who puts leaders up and establishes them in their positions that they hold. God is the one who establishes authority. So because God is the one who has established civil authority, I then, as a transformed Christian, need to what? Submit. Submit. Here, this will help you. Some of you, because somebody in here is going to be disappointed by the next election. Some of you are going to be happy. Some of you are going to be upset. We don't know how it's going to turn out yet, but you know, in a group this size... We've got people here who vote different than other people. And somebody's going to be upset by the election. I'm just going to be honest with you. Everybody recognize that. But here's the point. What will redeem you in your loss is knowing that it's ultimately God who sets up the authority. Yeah, we have a free election system here. But can I be honest with you? It's always within accordance to what God's will is. Because ultimately, and we're going to see this later, the motivation is is that all of history is moving towards what? The stage is being set for what to happen later on. Anybody? Jesus is returned. Jesus, we've got to keep that in focus. And then we're going to see that later. That's why, that's the motivation for our citizenship here. We'll see that in a moment. So then notice something. Verse 2 through 5, Paul wants to make a point here 
Notice what he says about resisting authority. Notice what he says here. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And he who resists will bring judgment on themselves. For the ruler is not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of authority? Do you do what is good and you will have praise from the same? For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Here's what he says. God will judge those who resist authority. God will judge those who resist authority. You know what? You resist authority, you don't get your building permit, you'll be judged. It may be a fine. Plus then still having to buy the permit. You break the speed limit, you'll get a ticket. And you'll keep paying it with increased insurance rates later on. But you'll be judged. You rebel against civil authority and you will be judged. And ultimately you'll be judged by God. That's the point that he wants you to understand. See, you and I are to submit. And notice something here. This is interesting. The next time you meet your senator or the next time you meet your representative or your county commissioner, say to them, do you know you're God's minister? They'll look at you shocked. But that's what the Bible says there. They are God's minister. They are God's appointed one, God's appointed servant to fulfill that role of what? Governing humanity. Because notice something. If we didn't have governing authorities, what would life be like? It would be pure anarchy. Pure anarchy. Then notice the final thing there. And this is probably the most difficult one, but one we need to notice. Notice what he says in verse 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Here's the final point. Transform citizenship. Here's what it does. Pay your taxes. You're going to pay your taxes. Well, you know, I don't agree with that new, you know, you know. That's not the point. Notice what Paul says. He says it this way. Notice what he says. Verse 7. Render therefore all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. See, here's the point. Remember when Jesus was shown the coin and they were asking, is it lawful to pay taxes? Even even back then, the issue of taxes has been around a long time. Whenever there is government, there's going to be taxes. Just Just got to recognize. Doesn't matter who's the party is, there's going to be taxes. And remember they asked Jesus, and Jesus said, show me a coin. And he said, whose inscription isn't on there? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said this ultimate thing. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar. Render to God that which is God's. My friends, he didn't say not to pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. That's part of transformed citizenship. Transform citizenship. But you know what? There's a mark on Christianity today because so oftentimes you hear about some kook somewhere that's advocating not paying their income tax or not doing this or whatever, and they're almost always associated with who? A church of some sort. But here's my point. Transform citizenship recognizes what? That it has a responsibility, whether you like it or not, to pay your taxes. To pay your taxes. Then let's go on now. Let's notice now transform citizenship towards your neighbors. Look at verse 8 through 10. Owe no man anything except love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The first thing I want you to notice about 
your responsibility as a transformed believer towards your neighbor, the first thing I want you to notice is this, is that do not owe anyone anything. Again, he's talking here about indebtedness. If you owe somebody, do what you can to get out of it. Do what you can to get out of it. Listen, you know, neighbors have this habit of doing things. They'll, they'll, they'll borrow stuff. Do you ever notice that? What happens when you borrow something and you don't get it back? What do you think about the person who borrowed it from you? you got warm, fuzzy feelings for them, especially when you need that lawnmower and you notice it's over in their garage and they act like it's theirs now and your grass is getting this high and you're getting notices from the township or the borough saying you've got to cut the grass and they haven't brought it back yet. See, if you're going to have a transformed life as a believer, it's going to have to be reflected in your relationships with your neighbors. And Paul just comes right out and says, first of all, look, don't owe anyone anything. Don't owe anyone anything. That's the first point here. But then notice the second point here, and this is the most important thing he says here, is that fulfill the law by what? Showing love. Fulfill the law by showing love. See, the most important thing that you can do, he's listed all of these commandments, and notice the commandments he's giving here, because these are pretty important. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery, verse 9. You shall not murder, that's important. You shall not steal, that's very important to having good neighborly relationships. You shall not... Bear false witness. That'll help. Don't covet. Don't covet what your neighbor's got. But then notice, but if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, if you're fulfilling that command of loving them, then all the other things are going to work out. You're not going to covet what they have. You're not going to steal what they have. You're not going to kill them. You're not going to murder them. The whole point there being is that it's all summed up in one principle of loving them. But you say, George, their cat uses my garden as its bathroom. And I've talked to them about it and they won't do anything. Look, you still need to love them. You still need to love them. You, You don't understand, George. He's mean. Yeah. But love them. Show them love. He can be irritating. But in the end, you know what's more important than anything is that you show them love. Show them love. See, that's the point. The transformation of your relationships is you don't owe anyone anything, but if you're going to owe them anything, you owe them love. You owe them love. You owe them mercy. You say, why? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to pay my taxes? Why do I need to submit to a leadership that I don't like? Why do I need to act this way to my neighbor who... Is I don't like them. Here's the reason why. I want you to notice the motivation. Verse 11 through 14. Here's where we'll spend the rest of our time. And do this. What's he talking about? Do this. Verse 11. What he just said. Submitting to authority. Loving your neighbor. Submitting to your authority. Loving your neighbor. Here's the motivation. Knowing that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Here's what. We need to wake up to the reality of his coming. Jesus is coming back. The reason why I submit to authority, the reason why I show love to my neighbor, is because I need to wake up to the reality that today might be the day that Jesus comes back for me. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Today might be the day that Jesus comes back for me. Here, in fact, I'll give you another thing because you say, well, man, it's been 2,000 years, George. He hasn't come back yet. Okay. Today might be the day that you see him because you might get killed or your heart might stop beating. See, you and I need to live with the reality of his coming. You and I need to live with the reality of standing before Jesus and giving account of our lives. That needs to motivate us. That needs to motivate your whole life. But you see, here's what we do. We've compartmentalized our lives. We say, okay, well, you know, yeah, I'll live in light of Jesus' return here at church. And yes, bless you, Jesus, come back. But then at home, we're somebody different. At work, we're even more different. Because we're away from the wife and the kids. And oh my! At the camp! We all hear the stories of the camps in the area, don't we? We're even somebody even more different. And then we're by ourselves. And we're somebody even different than there. See, what I want you to see is we've so compartmentalized our lives. But what Paul's trying to get us to understand is, is that I do these things. I live my life transformed because I recognize that Jesus could come back any moment, then I have to give an account. I have to give an account. And believe me, you say, well, I'm saved, George. I don't need to worry about anything. Yeah, you're saved. But can I be honest with you? It'd be awfully embarrassing to stand before Jesus, even saved, and have to explain yourself. Does everybody understand? So, like, for instance, when I did something at home... When I was a boy and I got in trouble at school or something and the teacher called up and told my mom and dad that I wasn't acting right, I didn't have to fear getting kicked out of home. I didn't have to fear being kicked out of the family, but I still had to fear dad. And going home and explaining to dad that George wasn't doing right in school. So you don't have to fear the loss of salvation, but you still have to stand before the one who died for you and explain why you lived your life the way you lived. See, that's what he wants us to understand. we got to wake up to the reality. I'm telling you, Christians, my friends, you've got to wake up to the reality of Jesus coming back. But you know, our focus is so on right now. And that's what we're thinking about. We're not thinking in terms of Jesus today. We're thinking in terms of stuff that we've got to do. He's saying, wake up to the reality of his coming. Wake up to the reality of his coming. And see, that will motivate you to be a better citizen. That will motivate you to show love to your neighbor. Wake up to the reality. Here's the other thing. Not only do I need to wake up to the reality, notice what he says in verse 12 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and in lewdness, excuse me, verse 13, and in lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Not only do I need to wake up to the reality, I now need to reflect the reality. Reflect the reality in your life. You need to reflect that reality in the way you live your life every day. Do you understand? You need to reflect the reality that you're going to live your life that way every day. See, we're waiting for Jesus to come back, aren't we? But can I be honest with you? We're, we're kicked back in our, in our lazy pews. You know, you can just kind of, you just kind of kick back, got your feet right up, and you're just waiting for Jesus to come back. See, that's waiting. And a lot of Christians are waiting. You need to be watching. 
And watching then is reflected in how you live your life every day. You understand? How you live your life every day. Here's a couple things I want you to take with you. Three things. Number one, I want you to think about this as we consider this passage. Number one, does your faith affect every area of your life? Does your faith affect every area of your life? Are you like this illustration where I said you got Christianity over here, you got work over here, you got your leisure over here, you got family over here, and then who knows where you're at? You've got everything so compartmentalized in your life. Is that where you're at? Or is Christianity a part of every area of your life? It's who you are, not what you do. Let me just stop again and say that again. It's who you are, not what you do. See, when I compartmentalize it, I put church over here, work over here, family over here, my fun stuff over here, my buddies over there. This is what I do. See, that's why so many young people are turned off towards Christianity today. Because they see it's not who you are, it's what you do. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They want to see somebody who really lives it. See, does your faith affect every area of your life? You've got to ask yourself that question. And you say, how, how do I ask myself that question, George? Well, start thinking about the different areas of your life. Does your faith affect your relationships at home? Does your faith affect how you are at work? Does your faith affect how you are with your extended family? Does your faith affect how you are with your buddies or how you are when you just go grocery shopping at, at Walmart? You know, it would be awfully nice just to talk to some cashiers at Walmart sometime. And talk to them about church people. And ask them, how do they treat you when something flubs up, and it always does, at a cashier? You almost want to ask waitresses what Christians are like after church at a restaurant when stuff doesn't go right. When the steak comes back rare and you ask for well done. Or the chop suey is cold. Or there's a fly in your soup. You know what I mean? See, does it affect every area of your life? You've got to ask yourself that question. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the transformed life. The transformed life that we see in the Bible affects every area of your life, not just part of it, not just you here today on Sunday. Then you've got to ask yourself this other one. Notice this next thing. It's not a question to ask. It's just something you've got to do. Recognize the time. Recognize the time And the time is, we're coming to the end. Jesus is coming back. You know, can I be honest with you? I'm going to make a statement here. Some of you may not like this, but I need you to, you need to wake up to some things. The situation in Iraq is not just some mess that George Bush created. You understand me? The situation in Iraq is part of the whole setting the stage for Jesus to come back. You need to grasp that, Christian. Quit looking at it from the standpoint of an American. Start to look at it from the standpoint of Jesus coming back. Because the stage has to be set for the prophecies to be fulfilled. And that's just one part of it. Recognize the time. He's coming. He's coming. Here's the other thing. Live like He's coming back today. Live like He's coming back today. 
You live your life like this is the day. Like maybe today you'll drive off to work or you'll drive off to Walmart, but you ain't coming back. Because while you're driving, you'll hear a trumpet and a shout. And then all that you ever knew will be gone. And you'll be with Him. Live like He's coming back today. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.